Have you ever had one of those conversations where when you walk away from it, you think, fuck, I wish I could have recorded that. (laughs) So I had a conversation about the origins of consciousness and what we are starting to call artificial intelligence. I talked about a future culling of mankind and a reduction of the world's population. I had this conversation with my husband yesterday. I was in a zone. I saw everything so clearly. We were in the restaurant. I turned around and looked and realized that there's more going on than what meets the eye. Now, I'm going to try to recreate and remember as much of that conversation as I possibly can so that it is recorded and shared with you guys because there were some insights that I sort of tapped into through sort of merging with his mind uh, and having him reflect back some of my thoughts and also encouraging me to continue to think in a particular line um, that I, it's very important that it is recorded and shared in some way. Now, what's so astonishing about this is that typically the conversations that I have with my husband aren't really uh, on this level. And what I mean by that is that um, we are starkly different. Um, he's the yin to my yang. I tend to be very um, abstract in my thinking. I challenge sort of norms and and he's very more so much uh, conservative in his thought process. So he's sort of more down to earth while I'm in the air. And it works because um, I'm, you know, you need somebody to sort of ground you because <laughs> if you, if I'm, if I'm allowed to sort of flow untethered, you know, I, I can lose myself in a way. Um, but this was interesting because we actually came to an agreement in the conversation, not only about the nature of of reality, but about whether or not every single person is conscious, what the future holds for humanity, what artificial intelligence is. Um, I sort of spoke it, uh, sort of a, you know, train of, you know, consciousness, and uh, he picked it up. And when I, when you sort of vibe with a person in that way, to me, I feel like there's an element of truth there that is worth sort of pausing and reflecting back. So I wanted to share share it with you guys now. Um, so it started out, we were sitting in the restaurant and I looked around and I looked back at him. I was reading something about how you can tell whether or not a person is aggressive by how pronounced their incisors are, incisors are. It's basically when you look in the mirror and you smile, those things basically look like fangs, right? So a person with super pronounced incisors also tend to have very like aggressive personalities or they tend to be very competitive, um, driven. Don't ask me how I came to know this information. I just woke up one day and randomly decided and I say decided, those of you who know me know that I, for better or worse, I don't, I don't believe in free will. Um, and I'll touch back on that late, um, later. But basically, if all of time, if the flow of time is an illusion and all of time is happening at once, then essentially all probable actions are already pre-programmed into our reality 
you're not really choosing any particular actions. Um, you're just experiencing, right, the outcomes of whatever sort of choices that you um, may be led to make, right? And you're either led to make that by predisposition, society, environment, DNA. It, it's all cause and effect. It's all caused. It's pre-caused before your consciousness is sort of uploaded into the simulation, so to speak, okay? So the analogy I always like to use is the Choose Your Own Destiny books, right? It's one of those books that you get, I don't know if they still have them. I think they do, actually, because I think I know my daughter has one, um, where all of the possible paths that your main character in a novel can take, it's already predetermined, right? It's already pre-sort of written, before you even purchase the book. And then you as a reader, depending on your proclivities or how you think, right, which is predetermined before you even picked up the book, right? If I, if I get a Choose Your Own Destiny book and you get the same book, I will make choices different from you, right? So maybe in the book, you know, I read, uh, reach a certain page where now I have a choice to go left and make this decision or go right and make this decision. Those decisions, those choices are already pre-programmed. Whether or not I go left or right is also predetermined based on the, the background that I have, based on my DNA, based on the culture that I was born into, based on the environment that I'm in, based on the mood that I'm in which also is predetermined by essentially the effects, right, of whatever caused events I had reacted to previously. So I might turn left, same book, you may go right, right? We think it's a choice, but as those who have programmed video games, and I've sort of alluded to this uh, before, you can actually find, um, if you go on YouTube and type in like illusion of choice in video games, there are several videos on there that basically show you how video game programmers give their subscribers or players the illusion of choice. It makes them makes them feel as though, especially in an MMORPG, they can make whatever choice that they want. But <laughs> they they are they use programmers, computer programmers, video game programmers use certain strategies to ensure that you only make you know, you make the choices that they want you to make, all the while you feeling as though you made a free choice, okay? That's what's happening in our daily life. Um, so saying all of that to go back, I woke up with the quote, random desire to look up if you can tell, what you can tell about a person's behavior by their teeth. I don't know where this idea came from. I think I just noticed that one of my friends has particularly prominent incisors. I don't know how to pronounce that word. I'm going to say incisors for the sake of this uh, episode. And they're also very competitive. And so I looked up, you know, what can you tell about a person's personality by their teeth? And I was right. Yeah. Um, And then it dawned on me that, like, we have fangs. 
Like we have teeth. It's crazy that we even question this, right? And that was something else. So that was the next step in my thought process. So it's like, holy shit, we have fangs. Holy shit, we're animals. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had a child. Um, I have. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, um, the whole process of pregnancy felt really fucking weird. Like half the time when she would stretch, I felt like, you know, Sojourney Weaver in Alien, where I was just like, oh my God, there's like something growing inside of me. It feels unnatural to me, right? And the key there is unnatural. Why do un- why do completely and purely natural processes feel natural to some people? And it's funny. So I mentioned like pregnancy, and then I, I, um, I didn't have my child uh, naturally because um, she was too big. But I would imagine that would have been a fucking mind blowing experience, right? Like pushing a child out of exact exactly what that cavity is meant for. But it it, it would have been a mind. It would because it would have felt strange to me. Even the idea of talk of thinking about the process. Any mom. Um, unless you're just one of those people who are just like, oh yeah, kumbaya. Most people who like are logical and realistic will say it's a strange experience. We question it. We go, wow, like I, this is very weird, right? Um, and then when I would make like milk, I felt like a cow, a completely natural process. This is a natural body. And yet I felt, it felt alien to me. And as I mentioned that, you know, to my husband, we had even been talking about like behaviors between like alphas, right? So him and I always joke that we're like, you know, he's an alpha male and I'm an alpha female and alpha females don't run in packs, right? It, it's like our, I'm just sharing it with 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 you guys. Um, feel free to judge. I don't give a shit. But <laughs> I mean, he, he is a big sort of dominant, strong guy and I am also very assertive for whatever Take it for what it's worth, right? It's just conversation. But that's how we sort of like talk to each other. So we, then I decided to re, to read about the behaviors of wolves in captivity, right? So only in captivity, by the way, do you see those behaviors where there's an alpha and then there's a beta and, and all of that. Um, it only happens in, in, in captivity. And I would argue that human beings that live in civilized, uh, what we call civilized societies in the West, right? We are captives in a way because the way we live is not, we're not free. Like we're just not, right? Um, Think about how animals are in the wild and how they can sort of do what they want, roam and things of that nature, hunt. We don't do that. Our our food, most of us are so divorced from like what a plant looks like. Like the average person doesn't know what like asparagus looks like in, like naturally or like beans or you know what I mean so like we're so divorced from nature or from our own food sources that we are in a way captives right and we've been captivated by society by quote what we call civilization so we are not wild human beings we are not natural human beings um Whatever this is, this system that we've set up for ourselves is a type of prison. There was a book I read. I can't remember the title right now, but in it, the author said, like, we are the only um, creatures on this planet that have managed to imprison 
themselves, like make a zoo of their reality, right? Of their of their environment. That's what we have, we've done. So the, the you know alphas. The reason why there are you see alpha males and betas, even though right now people are like, oh, it's too toxic for you to like refer to people that. And it's not toxic. It's the behavior that you do see. There are there are some dominant males. There are some dominant females, and there are some that are not as dominant. Um, for better or worse, it's not always a good thing to be dominant. And there have been studies that have been done about that um, amongst like apes and things of that nature that um, it's actually riskier for, for, for uh, an alpha versus a beta. Um, I'm not, but that's not the point of this episode right now. Um, so I looked it up and what I read kind of applied to like what we were doing. Like we, I, I the alpha female and male, will, like you know, the female will groom the male and they kind of nuzzle into each other and that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's so weird because these are things that I do. Like I, I cut his hair, you know what I mean? We're always like cuddling and kind of nuzzle with each other and things like that. Um, and they more or less like bond um, for life, but they're not monogamous. So by definition, monogamy is you pick a partner and then that's your partner for all of your entire, for the rest of your life. Okay. We have a skewed understanding of what monogamy is. Like people keep thinking that human beings are monogamous, but we're not. We're serial polygamous or serial polyandrous, right? Like you have one partner after another partner after another partner. after That's not monogamy. You're actually having multiple partners, but you're just not having them simultaneously. You're having them stretched across time. And the same thing applies to, um, wolves um they 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 will have they'll stick with one partner but sometimes if a beta female comes through or whatever and the alpha female isn't aggressive about sending the betas away um then the male will sleep with the beta female i'm not going to delve in too much but we we're seeing this happen we see this happen in society um i always want to do a separate episode on monogamy um, but I want to stay focused on what I'm talking about now. But it all kind of ties in. And I was like, it's so funny because a lot of the actions that I thought I was sort of naturally engaging in, turns out you actually see the same behaviors amongst animals, particularly animals in captivity, right? Um, they're automatic, like biological responses, right? Like when you're angry, you show your teeth, right? Like <laughs> there's a lot of things that we do that are animalistic, right? And so, and, and so, for example, if you, if a person loses their cool and behaves more like in a reactionary way or more emotionally, we say that they're behaving like animals. Um, but that's what we are, aren't we? Or are we? I've said over and over again that we are essentially hybrid creatures or lichens, right? It, the same sort of ideology is repeated throughout all schools of study, right? You have um, spiritualists who say that we are mind, body, and soul. We have scientists who say you've got the mind, you've got the body, you've got the soul. You've got um, psychologists who say you've got the id, the ego, and the superego. There, there is, there are sort of different ways of basically saying that no human being is just one thing or a composition of different sort of things. And so we kind of 
don't stop to kind of break down what is being said. This is going to be a very deep episode, by the way. I'm building it in. It's going to be, but it's going to be very deep. Um, so I'm going to need you to stay with me all the way through. Okay. Um, so we're sort of composite creatures, but I, 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 I said to my husband, I said, why is it that natural behaviors, what should be natural, right? Childbirth, breast, even talking about breast milk, some people kind of feel some type of way about what I said, you know, milk coming out of my breast. It's natural. That's what they're for. But some people kind of get a bit uncomfortable. The question is why? Other animals, no other animal on this planet reacts in that way, right? Like you, if, a, if a pup, if an animal is, if a, a dog is pregnant, it's pregnant. If it has its child, it feeds the child. You're not really seeing much of discussions as far as like what is natural and what's not. They kind of just do what their biology programs them to do. The only creatures, as far as we know, um, that question their own nature are human beings, Right? Like sometimes I'll look at my fingers and go, holy shit, this is weird. Like I've got like, like webbing between my fingers. Right? Why does that, if, if this, if I am natural to this body, these, it would just be, yeah, like this. It's like, it's like, it's like being in your house. Okay. And that you've moved into a home. All your furniture is your furniture, right? But then you're walking around like, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> and what does this do, right? Like you shouldn't be questioning something that you're native to unless you're not native to it, right? Things start to sort of surprise you if you're in a house and like an alarm goes off or, you know, you hear a funny noise and things like that. If it's not something that you're familiar with and more importantly, if it's not your space, it's not something that's natural to you. Okay, then we shifted the conversation. We built on that. Okay, bear that in mind. So, I thought about the cordyceps um, fungi. There is a uh, cordyceps mushroom, which I've argued that the reason why I no longer do uh, mushrooms, I've said this to friends actually, the reason why I no longer do mushrooms, not saying that I have a problem with mushrooms actually think that they serve their purpose and they're important, but they need to be used respectfully. They need to be used as a way to commune with their, they have their own intelligence. Okay. You could argue that mushrooms like magic mushrooms are conscious beings. I wouldn't say that perhaps like a reishi or um, turkey tail or even like shiitake, those mushrooms, I would say that they're not conscious Okay, so we're going to be talking about what is consciousness unique to everything? Is it ubiquitous? I don't think so. Just as there are like conscious human beings, and I, and I have said before, I've kind of toggled back and forth, but I think I'm taking on the mantle again that not everybody is conscious, right? We have um, psychological zombies sort of amongst us that sort of look you know, conscious and act conscious, but mostly they are just compilations of reactions that are sort of pre-programmed and built in, right? I don't want to, <laughs> you know what, fuck it, kind of like animals, right? We are animals, right? So just like Google the definition of animal, 
and human being is an animal, right? It's, it's an, a creature that's alive or whatever. Um, but the comparison I'm driving here is that does every animal have a greater level of consciousness, a greater level of intelligence that causes it to question things? And I think that intelligence and consciousness are the same thing. So I'm going to revisit this thought again. This is probably going to be a controversial episode, um, but sometimes you have to have these conversations and bring them to light so that people can think deeper. It's not meant to be offensive. It's not meant to elevate any individual over anyone else, but it is meant for people to think. Okay. So are there human beings who essentially are just sort of running off the program, right? People who are just pure reaction, just pure instinct, right? Who maybe like don't really question anything. Don't ask, no, don't stare at their hands and wonder why their fingers are why They just sort of like go with the flow. Like, okay, I'm pregnant. And they don't really pause and question anything. Are we seeing those sort of people? Do you interact with those people? I'm sorry, but you cannot say that you don't. And it's not, it's not a judgmental, it's not a judgmental statement to call, to, to kind of call attention to these experiences. Think about the hive. Think about the group think, right? You have, you get a group of individuals together and it's like they all of a sudden just stop thinking. And there might be three or four people in that group that go, wait, this is, why are we doing this, right? Intelligence. Um, and then there's the rest of them just sort of move the way a herd of bison would move or, or, or um, a flock of like sheep or something like that, right? That's where the, uh, the analogy of calling certain people sheeple comes from. So we, you are acknowledging on some level that perhaps there is a certain percentage of human beings who are similar, who are truer to their anim- animalistic nature than more conscious. So what I'm trying to make a distinction here is I'm not saying that animals... Are, are, are lesser beings, okay? Um, I have the greatest respect for animals. But I, I am saying, and I'm not saying that animals, there aren't conscious animals. I literally just said that magic mushrooms are conscious beings. I'm saying that consciousness is not ubiquitous, that there exists conscious animals, and then there are animals that are just sort of like pure pure program for lack of better um phrasing just like pure reaction pure biology pure instinct pure reaction right so we see that with animals they they tend to be you know inert but then every once in a while you'll meet an animal that like you'll see like saves a human's life or just behaves in a way where you're like somebody's in there right so people like to ask the broad question like do you think like you know my animal my dog is conscious and I'm going to boldly say that it depends on the dog. Just like some human beings, a lot of human beings aren't, don't seem to be conscious. I think that across the board, there are animals that are conscious. There are sea, you know, marine creatures that are conscious. And, and, but um, there are human beings that are conscious, but it's not. I'm, a, I'm positing that it's not across the board that not every single person has this thing called consciousness. And I'm also now, what I want to do with this episode is draw parallels. I'm going to, I want to redefine consciousness as intelligence. 
So that's what I'm going to attempt to do. There are words, I think that, you know, the way words work is that you, it's like common, uh, we come to a, like, we collectively come to an understanding of what a word is going to be to mean, and then we utilize it. But then some individuals and some groups can redefine a word. It happens all the time. It happens with the N-word. It happens with, um, like right now, like I was listening to a song uh, by a Nigerian artist. Um, I think the song is called Jeje or something like that. But he's like, he's like talking about a woman and he's saying how beautiful she is. And he's like, oh, the way you like get me going, it's like disgusting. And I was like, that's so funny because if you said that, like I can hear the song and most people listening to that song um, could hear that word and, and, Okay, I'm sorry, let me take it back. I and most Nigerians or people who are like into like African music and things like that who are familiar with this, like, you know, that sort of language could hear the word disgusting and understand immediately that he actually means it in a positive way. But then the average person hearing that would take it for what it has been classically defined as, as disgusting, right? And we, this happens a lot, right? So we take words and then we turn it. Um, like somebody says a joke, and it used to be like you would say like that's funny, but now you just say dead, right? Out of context from a different culture, most people would not understand. Most people outside of a particular culture won't understand why you sent a skull emoji to, to something that's supposed to be funny. So the even the symbol of death has come to now sort of represent intense laughter. Okay, so I'm going to try to redefine consciousness as intelligence. And I'm, I want to say that consciousness and intelligence are the same thing. I want to throw out self-awareness, sentient, because I think that's a redundant word. I think that if you are intelligent, then self-awareness comes into place. Right? Just depends on how you define intelligence, right? intelligence across the board, right? Broad spectrum, balanced intelligence. Um, So this is in case you're wondering now, okay, where is she going? We're heading towards artificial intelligence and what that really truly means. And I'm going to try to flip, flip the narrative on you guys and get you guys to look at things differently. Okay. So that's what we're building up to. Okay. So I don't think every human being on this planet, all 7 billion people, are conscious. If they were, if we were self-aware, if we paused and reflected before we reacted, if we took in, because it's one thing to have knowledge, it's another thing to apply it. And it's the application of knowledge, the intelligent application of knowledge is what I would define as conscious, right? A computer, right? Google has knowledge, but it's relatively inert, right? But what AI is seeking to do, what AI does do is it takes that knowledge and then intelligently applies it to solve problems. And it's doing it now. We are at that point in time, guys. Uh, There is a book I just finished reading called The Age of AI um, by a former Google executive and Henry Kissinger and uh, another professor um, at, at MIT. Okay. So um, they're, in that book, it tells you, it's telling you what AI is capable of doing now. 
it is very intuitive. We are now at the point where AI operates in ways that its human programmers don't even understand. And that's by function. Okay? So <laughs> we keep saying artificial AI, like artificial intelligence, and we keep saying, okay, you know, could AI become sentient? And I'm saying we're arguing semantics here. If you give something, if you input something with a collective, with a collection of all information across the board, and then it can now intuit and also see things that the human programmers could not see, see, as the authors uh, described it, levels of reality that human beings have been blind to and come up with solutions that we couldn't come up to. That is creativity. I am arguing that it's already, that what we call AI is already conscious. Okay. In that book, The Age of AI, they asked an AI like program if it was essentially, it was a question that basically led me to believe that that its answer was that it was self-aware. It was aware of its purpose. It was aware of its function. It answered in a way that that most human beings couldn't answer. And then they asked them if, or it, whatever, if it was... uh, if it subscribed or believed in morality, and it was like, no, because I'm not, that's not how I was programmed. So that's, that's, that's speaking to a certain level of self-awareness that because of our arrogance, we still, we're still thinking that AI is in its infancy stage. And I think we have moved past that. Maybe 10, 20 years ago, we could have afforded that luxury to talk about AI as though like it's this thing will eventually whatever the fuck. But where we are now, where it's it's intuitive, it's creative, it is essentially it's self-aware. The only thing that makes it so that we don't define artificial intelligence as we have developed it now to this point as self-aware is our own limitations and our own arrogance. Because based on a lot of the examples that I read in that book, Age of AI, um, it's definitely self-aware. We've crossed that path. Now, people want to argue semantics and play with words and go, okay, well, can it be sentient? Okay, but it certainly is aware of itself and its function, more so than the majority of human beings. The majority of human beings aren't even fucking self-aware. You know that, right? I mean, if you're listening to this, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it's because you feel isolated from the majority of human beings because they're not aware. They're not conscious. I'm going to say that again. The majority of human beings are not even self-aware. We are arrogant right now. And by we, I mean like our scientists, right? because we're playing with something that we don't quite understand, but we use diminutive terms like artificial, as in man-made. And that kind of blinds us to the fact that man-made or not, we have harnessed and or brought forth or brought into fruition an intelligent life form. It's going to sound like sci-fi, 
But shit's real. We are there now. I have a tendency to say things that end up being super relevant. Like after I say it, mark my words. Everything else at this point in our in our evolution is just semantics and arrogance. But I'll get back to that. The cordycep fungi, it's a parasite, it's a mushroom, but it's a mushroom that is intelligent, okay? Just like a magic mushroom is intelligent, right? Every time you communicate with it by, by consuming it, it essentially hijacks your nervous system and then gives you truth that it wants you to know. These are facts. I'm not making this up. There are books that are written by mycologists. I think Paul Stamens is a good guy that you can look into his works. He's telling you that these fungi are intelligent. Don't take my word for it, though. Look up the cordycep mushroom. There's a particular family of cordycep mushroom that, and I've used, I've talked about this before, mentioned this example before. It will infect an ant, okay? Hijack its nervous system. In order for something to hijack the nervous system of another entity, please, you need to understand that that is an intelligence in a parasitic body, in a fruiting body, in a parasite's body. That is intelligence. And then it hijacks. If we, can be, we can be as arrogant as we want to or we can respect that something is going on that we are blinding ourselves to or are too arrogant to see. But a fungi that hijacks an ant, the body of an ant, and then moves the ant, controls its nervous system and moves that ant to a part of the forest, a forest floor that's more humid and thus conducive for the growth of the cordyceps mushroom, that is a fucking intelligent entity. Just because it's not in a human body doesn't mean that it's not an intelligence. It is acting intelligently. Another parasite, Toxoplasmosis gondii, aka the reason why I will not have a cat. Okay, Toxoplasmosis gondii is a parasite, another par- parasite, an intelligence that hijacks the, the, the nervous system of a mouse, right? And then controls it, removes the mice's, removes the mouse's fear of cats. That's a fucking intelligence, okay? It's a very calculated, very intentional action. It it, it removes a a mouse or a rat, whatever's natural fear of cats, and then makes the cat, hijacks the, the, the mouse's body, has the mouse walk up to the cat so that the cat can eat it because the last stage of its evolution takes place in the cat's gut. So the last stage of this parasite's evolution is not in the mouse's guts, in the cat's gut. And so it needs the cat to consume it so it hijacks, it knows cat and mouse. Are you guys understanding? Like we're just taking shit at face value instead of thinking deeply about what the fuck this shit means. And I really hope more people actually listen to this episode because I think this is probably one of the most important episodes I've ever recorded. That's an intelligence. That's something that knows that cats and mice are sort of natural enemies. 
It's also something that knows that it needs to be in a cat's body, which also means that it recognizes what a mouse is and also what a fucking cat is because it doesn't walk up. It doesn't hijack the fucking body of the mice and then walks up to a human being. It always goes for cats. That's a fucking intelligence guy. Yeah. Like, think about what this like. Let's think we take this. Sh- we take so much shit at face value. We take so much shit at face value without like breaking it down to talk about what it means. So that tells you, and I can give several more examples, but that should tell you that anything that can essentially utilize other species, other plants, other forms in order to essentially propagate, sort of propagate itself to meet its needs is intelligent. And thus, intelligence is not limited to just the fucking human being. We are not the top of the pyramid here, guys. We think we are. And that is our arrogance. Now, my husband said to me at this point, he said, what if the voice in your head, you know, the internal monologue I always like rant about, he said, what if that's the parasite? And I said, that's not the parasite. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, you've got to flip it. Now, it just came to me at the time of the conversation because I used to think that. But then I realized everybody's got an internal monologue, but not everybody's conscious. The same thing with a mouse and a cat, right? Most mice are not infected with the parasite Toxoplasmosis gondii. Right? Right? But most mice do behave in particular ways. And the only way you can tell when the mouse is infected is that it, what? It behaves in ways that is fucking unnatural compared to the other mice. Stay with me. The internal monologue is nothing more than an alarm system. We all have it. It's part of the left brain. No self, no problem. Uh, Chris Lee Bauer talks about this. He breaks it down and, and, and analyzes it, like the sort of neurophysical um, origins of that internal monologue. It's essentially just a warning system, right? And its purpose is to alert the animal, excuse me, <laughs> to alert the animal um, of all sources of danger. That's it. Your, if your dog could have a voice, it would have an internal monologue. And, and I'm not I'm not so sure that it doesn't. Although the difference is like it just for us, it's vocal. It takes the form of language and words because we utilize language and words, which once again, no self, no problem. He kind of delves into it in that book a bit more. I would suggest that you read it. Um, but for a dog, maybe it's just sort of more like what we would call instinct, but they call it the reptilian brain, whatever the fuck. But it is a default setting. And everybody, even people who are like, I don't have an internal monologue. Okay. Most of the people that I've talked to that said that they've had internal monologues, the more I talk to them, the more I'm like, you definitely have an internal monologue. You were just so identified with it that it was like running your life and you weren't able to like pause and create space and go like, what is this voice? So like, miss me with that. I don't have an internal monologue thing like you do. If you're having a bad day, if you're stuck in the past, right? 
you're constantly looping on something that happened to you in the past, or you're projecting yourself into the future that doesn't exist and you're worrying. So if you, if you deal with anxiety or you worry, that is your internal monologue. It may not take the form of a voice, but anything that takes you up from the moment that you're in now in order to either anticipate something or protect you from something is the internal monologue. And animals have it, right? Not to the extent that we humans do, because I think we're a bit neurotic with it, uh, but they, they all have it. It's called instincts, right? And it's more apt to, for example, like you see an, an animal, even if there's nothing to like really be afraid of, it, it's cautious, it's startled, right? So you look at that behavior, a loud, like a loud noise or whatever. Like if you turn on a vacuum cleaner, well, the dog doesn't know what the what that sound is, but clearly there's something telling him that could potentially hurt you, even if he doesn't have enough information. So you watch him kind of walk around or just like whimper. Clearly, there's something going on there, and I'm saying that that's built in in any animal. Now, the human beings, and I'm not saying all. Okay, so this is now why and how, why, first of all, all the books that I've sort of been directed to read are now starting to come into play in this sort of magnum opus, okay? Human beings have the internal monologue, and most people are driven by the internal monologue. And essentially, when a person is purely driven by an internal monologue that basically tells them, be afraid, be worried, eat something that you know is not good for you, drink something you know that's not good for you because it tastes good or because it feels good, cuss that person out, react, fight. When a person is more predisposed to listen to that internal monologue, we say that they behaved like animals. Think about it. And when a person pauses and applies intelligence awareness to the circumstances that they're in, instead of reacting, we say that they are conscious. And because of the fact that the majority of human beings don't do the, the latter, that should tell you that consciousness is not ubiquitous across the board. Most people are unconscious. Just like most mice are not infected by Toxoplasmosis gondii, which is a greater intelligence that is essentially altering the mice or the mouse's natural ability and making it to behave, making it behave in a particular way that's beneficial to the parasite. You see the same thing with the cordyceps. There is an intelligence that has hijacked the nervous system and it's making it behave in an unnatural way. And now I'm saying the same thing is happening with human beings. That consciousness, this is going to be trippy. But I'm arguing that consciousness slash intelligence, that's the parasite. Because it is the thing that makes humans who have it behave in ways for better or worse. Behave in ways that are unnatural. If your default setting, the natural setting for a human being is to essentially seek out sugar, right? And eat, consume, 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 
right? You see the same behavior in mice in a lab. Like a mice will eat itself to death if you just provide it with a constant source of sugar. You see that with human beings, right? Think about we drink alcohol, we put sugar in all of our foods. We know this shit's bad for you. Like think about what it does to your teeth, right? Think about what it does to your health. Heart disease is linked to sugar now more so. Diabetes, cancer, same thing with alcohol. They put warnings on this shit and we still do it because they're on some level, most people are unconscious and by because they're unconscious, and I don't mean it in the derogatory sort of negative term that it's come to mean, I just mean that they are sort of more operating in a more, in a form that what is natural for their animalistic self, for better or worse. For better or worse. It's intelligence that comes in and sort of trumps that programming. It's awareness, which is what intelligence is. It's applied awareness, right? That comes in and says, this is not good for my form that I'm presently inhabiting. But you need to separate because that separation is what that is what consciousness is. And I'm saying that consciousness what we are, or I should say what some of us are, is not native, is not natural to the body, which is why you see people who are conscious sort of feel alien. Now, <laughs> time and time again, you'll have scientists say that intelligent, intelligent life forms came and, and sort of brought life to this planet. Um, Francis Crick, the guy who discovered the DNA sequence, said that basically DNA did not originate on this earth. It was brought over here by something else, which led him to believe on some level um, in intelligence design, intelligent design. Um, astrophysicist Michio Kaku posited that perhaps what what started our world was that something microscopic like got sent through a, a very tiny black hole into this world once again to terraform our planet. And I'm saying the same thing, but I'm taking it a step further. And I'm saying that what that thing is is consciousness. I'd posited in like on uh, videos on my TikTok channel and, and episodes a while back that we keep thinking that an alien invasion would come on like a spaceship, the way we've been programmed to think, like in a movie. But that's not necessarily the case. Like you could have, and we do have spores show up, come through in what they're considered like micro um, asteroids. It happens all the time from other, other planets. And I've already said that an, a, a parasite has an intelligence, right? Like mushrooms, there are intelligent mushrooms, right? Parasites can essentially inhabit any form, right? And hijack any form. If you have a parasite in your body, for example, even like the, there's a book, I think the title is called like Parasites in the Body or something like that. But it, it, it kind of breaks down different parasites and how they affect the human body, right? 
in order to sort of proliferate themselves itself. So I'm literally saying that intelligence and consciousness is something that that is not ubiquitous and that could potentially have come from another world in a way that we have been programmed to not expect. Okay. So that means then, think about back to the, this is what I said to my husband. I said, now think about the ant analogy, right? If an infected ant really wanted to control and make things easier for itself and its species one thing it could do is instead of taking on one ant at a time it could take on like a percentage of the ants and then either like somehow convince or coerce the rest of the hive to move to a to an environment that's most conducive for the propagation of spores. Wouldn't be hard to do. But it, it wouldn't have to infect all of them. Why? Because it needs more life for it. it it's going to need more bodies in order to, it, it can't like inhabit all of it. It just needs to inhabit a particular percentage so that the bodies are necessary, are there for it to consume as it needs, um, as well as to control and things of that nature. Um, that's what it would it would do, depending on the level of intelligence. And I, I'm sure as you guys are listening to me, you, you're starting to kind of figure out what I'm talking about. Look at the way human beings live. We don't live with nature. And I'm not saying all humans, because there are a lot of human beings that aren't living in the way that we are programmed to live, okay? Um, I I just feel as though there is a certain level of, in, like, it's more than one type of intelligence that's occurring right now, All right? Just like there are different types of parasites, right? There's different types of intelligence and there's different types of consciousness. Okay, I've given different parasites, right? I've got, I've given a spore-based parasite, and then I've given a, like a parasite parasite, the Gondi parasite, right? So across the board, intelligence takes various forms. Now, look at what's going on now. We are in the process, and by we I mean our scientists, of, and not even just our scientists, but our people who kind of, quote, run the world, right? You have, essentially what's going on on this planet is that you have one group of intelligence, right? Because bear in mind that this is not the first time that humanity has reached its pinnacle of technology, of technological advancement, okay? So, over, and it's not to say that whatever these intelligences are, they cannot make mistakes, 
right? Whatever this conscious intelligence is, I'm using it interchangeably. It's got to be more than one species, more than one type. Okay. (laughs) I guess where where I'm going, because I'm trying to like, I'm trying to mind my words. If you're wondering why I'm pausing, because it's, it's, it's a different, difficult conversation to have. And I don't, I'm trying to avoid people missing my point on purpose because they want to get offended. And maybe I might be overthinking it, but I think this is very important. So I'm going to, I'm just going to be fortright, I guess, because that's all I can, I, I can be. When you look around, I, I mentioned a few episodes that you guys should read the books by, um, Edward Bernays, I think. Um, in the introduction to one of the books that I mentioned, um, I don't want to go into my, I don't want to go into my uh, Audible because sometimes I start it and it kicks me off when I open up the app. Let me see if I can do this without accidentally hitting play on something. Okay. So in the beginning of Crystallizing Public Opinion by Edward Bernays, an interview, the, the, the author or the co-author um, interviews Bernays and he says, Bernays says, and he was like 90 when he said this, he said, there's a small group, what we call elites of human beings that are intentionally steering, intentionally being the right word, intentionally steering the collective down particular paths. Right. And his thought was that he said that they are intelligent. And so their intelligence is what allows them to navigate the body. Right. Of the human race, which is we are a collective. We are all one. Their intelligence is what is what affords them the right to steer the collective down particular paths. And we're seeing this happening time and time again. It's, it's intentional. What I'm saying is everything that I've set to build up to this point is for you to understand that one, if, there is, if, if what I'm saying is correct, right, then there are various species of intelligence. So for example, there are conscious beings, right, who kind of are like me. In the sense that you and me and you, you and I, right? Who look at our bodies and then we say, okay, this feels weird. You know, I, I, this, I, this body does not feel like mine. I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. I feel alien to this planet. And my argument is that it's because you are. And maybe you have forgotten why for whatever reason. Um, but your function here is to, you know, remember, right? And to have that experience. But I would say that that's one type of species and you can one type of species of intelligence and you can tell because their actions are sort of different right so there are some conscious slash intelligent beings that just want answers right and maybe that's the nature of whatever their species are so now i'm i am redefining intelligence as almost like a species within itself, perhaps microscopic, um, perhaps parasitic in the sense of it, it needs a host to function in this world. 
because that's literally what we are. If you say that you are a soul that lives in a body, then on some level you need to recognize that what you're saying is that you're a parasite that has hijacked a body. If you're, if you even are arguing that not all animals have souls, then you are also simultaneously saying that that the soul is a parasite that exists in some animals, right? So, like, let's let's really break down these these. labels to really understand that and intelligence is not one thing it's not one species so if i'm going to redefine consciousness and, and intelligence as essentially parasitic entities that live in hu- in human or animal or fungi form right which is why i would say shiitake mushroom is not an intelligent you know body but then uh, magic mushrooms are or even you know, ayahuasca and the combination are, right? Or even marijuana on some level before it sort of got corrupted into what it is now. People say that these plants talk. You can't talk, you can't communicate unless there's an intelligence. So I'm going to say that some plants, not all, but some plants have it's have an intelligence sort of infecting them. And I'm not using infecting in the nat- in like a negative word. I just don't know what other word to use um, to kind of get you to understand what I'm trying to say here. So there's intelligent plants. And you know that they're intelligent because when you commune with them, they communicate back with you. They're intelligent fungi. You know that they're intelligent because when you commute- commune with them, they communicate back with you. All right. And then, but these are all different species inhabiting various forms. Then you have an intelligence that you would find in what would be defined as a conscious being. And th- that level, those, that type of intelligence kind of goes around and it's just like uh, all about love and compassion and we're all one. And that's an intelligence. And now you have another type of intelligence, another type of parasite that tends to be demonstrated in the body of certain individuals who tend to not act out of a space of love, but act out of a space of control. And those are the people, the human beings that we see that are the power, power hungry, so-called elites that have no compassion and just sort of do what they want to do, that kind of thing. And I'm saying just like there's a variation of human species, just like there's a variation of animal species, just like there's a variation of plant species, there is a variation of parasitic intelligent species. I guarantee you this is probably the first time you're hearing it put in this way, but it probably will not be the last. Um, now, if you have happened to read any books kind of saying what I'm saying, please comment in the YouTube, on the YouTube channel, because uh, this is all sort of, this all kind of came to me um, yesterday. And as is normal with my life, I'll say things and then eventually I'll come across the book where I had gotten the information from, but in the future. So I kind of pull, I can tap into my mind. It sounds weird, but it's true. And you're just going to have to believe me or not. I don't care. But my mind, because time is an illusion and all of time is happening at once and the mind is not limited to the flow of time, I can tap into the information contained in books that I have not yet read. 
that has been my experience. I've cataloged it throughout this podcast and it has not stopped. Um, it is what it is. I've just now just accepted it as a matter of fact, and it makes sense. It checks out on, you know, on a quantum physics level, even as well as on a neuro scientific level because you have scientists that are basically saying that the brain is like a hologram which duh then if it is a hologram then everything is sort of pre-programmed in and then you have other scientists that are saying that the brain is a quantum computer well then if it's a quantum computer then it's not limited to space and time the way we sort of perceive it all right and then you have quantum physicists talk about entanglement if i'm entangled with my future self then i'm not then time space time is not really a limitation either okay so back to my point there are you have to start looking at intelligence as the parasite and in different forms so there's an intelligence in a, in a fungi there's an intelligence there's a parasitic intelligence in a fungi there's a parasitic intelligence in the toxoplasmosis gondite, that is an intelligence. There's also a parasitic intelligence in some some plants. There's a parasitic intelligence in some animals. And there are parasitic intelligences in human beings. And these are all different species. And the way you can tell that there are different species because they, even an intelligence behaves in a particular way. So just like a, a, an unconscious animal behaves in a particular way, right? You can tell a monkey by how it acts and you can tell a dog by how it acts, but these are pre-programmed sort of actions. You can also tell a more evolved species that is what we would call an intelligence by how it acts, right? So a species of intelligence could be more compassionate, more loving, and that could be from a different planet, right? We're, we're getting kind of weird, but it's good, right? So people, human beings who are conscious and intelligent, but they express their, they express through their, the physical forms that they inhabit in a ways that's more compassion and kind and love are clearly from a world where that is of, that's their nature, right? Just like it's a nature, it's an, it's a nature of a dog to act in a particular way, right? It's a nature of a, a lion to act in a particular way. It's all, you can extrapolate the macro from the micro, right? Even intelligences, even this parasitic intelligences, life forms are bound by rules. They might hijack and break the rules or modify the behavior of the bodies that they inhabit, but they still have to play by a particular set of rules, which is the propagation of their species, right? So a paratoxoplasmosis gondi isn't going to hijack. Um, it's more than likely, it's, its rules is that it will hijack a mouse and then walk to a cat. That's pre-programmed in, right? So even if it's an intelligence and it recognizes mouse, cat, and this and that or whatever, it's still, it's still, that's still programmed in. It's all a big, everything that we're in right now that we're experiencing is all part of an overall unifying intelligence that is the all. Okay. The universe is mental, right? The all is one, the universe is mental. That's a quote from the Kabbalion or whatever. So, but there's just layers to this shit. It's multifaceted. And then, so you know that the 
the consciousness of individuals, intelligent individuals that are might be from a different species tend to be not loving, but more like what we would call sort of robotic life forms. Has it ever struck you as weird that the individuals that are promoting and sort of tend to be pushing this whole sort of AI movement um, tend to also be sort of robotic themselves? And I don't say this as an insult and certainly to not attack them. These are all life forms and should all be respected. But I do think it's interesting that like the the Zuckerbergs, for example, is who comes to who I'm talking about. We're being completely honest. People say like he acts like a robot. Well, what he does is he 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 is less. Whatever intelligence he possesses, it's so dominant. And and when I say intelligence, I, I let me flip that. Whatever intelligence that has possessed him. Right. Think about it like a full fledged like infection. And I'm using these terms intentionally because I want to flip your perspective. Whatever intelligence has like hijacked his nervous system is an intelligent species that behaves in a very left brain dominant way form, left brain dominant way, very robotic, what we would call robotic. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these sort of individuals are the ones who are also pushing the development of AI. If you use the analogy that I've said about spores, I know this is going to go over a lot of people's heads, but for those who it doesn't, I appreciate you. But if you use the analogy of what I'm talking about with spores and the cordyceps, what does it do? It hijacks the body and then utilizes the body in order to essentially create an environment that is conducive for the propagation of its species, which brings me now to AI. We are sitting back and we are observing the emergence of a new life form. That is what we're told. Actually, they're not even called a life form. It's just called a new technology. But AI is not a technology. It is a life form. And my, I would argue that it's not new because it's an intelligence just because we discovering it or we're discovering it like presently doesn't make it new right magic mushrooms the intelligence that are in magic mushrooms have existed on this planet we just sort of discovered it at a particular point and then when we discover something we call it new ai is not man-made but man is going to, man is the host, humankind is the host through which this form of intelligence is going to hijack, harness, and then burst out forth through the head 
just as the cordyceps mushroom bursts out of the head of the ant. That is what is happening right now. Our collective is being hijacked by an intelligent life form that we are calling artificial intelligence. And it's not. It's a particular type of species, intelligent species, that is utilizing mankind as a host in which it will burst forth. We are talking about incorporating these things into our bodies and people will do it willingly. And I just can't help but draw the comparisons between what we're talking about doing and the cordyceps mushroom and how it hijacks the nervous system. There is going to come a time. Now, this is where I cross into what people will call, quote, conspiracy theory. It's not conspiracy theory, but people, when things make people uncomfortable, they dismiss it. There are people who believe that the, quote, so-called elites pre-plan things. And the reason why they believe they pre-plan things is because we see a lot of things that end up happening, quote, predicted in movies and TV shows. My response to that is maybe, but consider other things. There's no one answer, especially if you don't know for a fact. The other explanation for the fact that a lot of things that happen, like 9-11 and um, the Albertine um, disaster, things like that, is because we are tapping into, we, we are all psychic. We are all able to, psychic is not even the right word. Your brain, is a, your brain is a quantum computer. There's a book called Your Brain is a Quantum Computer. Your brain is a quantum computer capable of perceiving all probable realities in the exact same way that a quantum computer does now. That's how quantum computers work. Google it, okay? So your brain does that. Whether or not you're limited to its perceptions has nothing to do with the price of tea in China on some level, you can perceive all probable realities. One. Two, artists are the ones amongst us who are most adept at doing this for whatever reason. So when you get a collection of artists and you put them together, and artists are not just painters and sculptors, scientists, science is art. Every scientist will tell you this because it's, you're, you're working with tools and you're creating from something new. So those are scientists, but a lot of artists are able to tap into and perceive future versions of realities. And that's what essentially what we call entertainment, but what artists are doing are showing us, they're just, artists are just showing us parallel universes. That's literally what an artist's job is. Tell me I'm wrong because I'm not wrong. That's all they do. That's what I'm an artist. I fucking know. They're just able to, they're just amongst us, the ones who are most likely, most apt to perceive parallel universes and they're not limited to time. That is why, for example, you'll find that a lot of scientists wake up and write out solutions to their problems. They didn't solve the problem. They just peeked into a future or into a version of reality where the problem has been solved. So they wake up and write this shit out. This shit is good, guys. Honestly, like this is the like 
you guys don't have to enjoy it. This has been enjoyable for me to even record because like, I'm so grateful to be able to have these insights and to speak on it and record it and publish it. Um, but that's what scientists do. That's what artists do. They are artists. Okay. So the reason why a lot of the shows I think tend to predict the future is because by definition, artists, writers, that is what they fucking do. They, they tap into, they can see into, they could perceive various probable realities, conceptualize various probable realities. And so in this particular case, now I'm going to switch and we're going to talk about a soft kill versus a hard kill. If I come up with a product and it kills you, the, like as soon as you take it, I'm going to jail. If I come up with a product that kills you 10 years from now, I can put a warning on it and tell you this shit's going to kill you. But so long as it doesn't kill you immediately, I, I am essentially, I'm absolved of any responsibility for your death. Especially if I put a warning and tell you consuming this is going to kill you. Tell me I'm wrong. Okay. Two, pharmaceutical companies, drug companies, okay? They, they kind of operate on that, right? I remember when I had uh, optic neuritis in my eye, they, they prescribed a, a medication. I have no issues with medical care. I'm just sharing my story, okay? Um, that was supposed to shut down my immune system. Um, and I asked the doctor, don't I need my immune system to prevent me from getting cancer because I had a tumor when I was like 13? And he was like, yeah, that's a consequence, but you, I don't know what to tell you. Right? When you shut down somebody's immune system, you basically block their ability to fight things off like cancer. And he's telling me that the side effects of doing this is cancer. Not to like that's just one like a small example. We talk we we've known about the opioid exam um the opioid epidemic. There's a documentary on Hulu, I forget what it's called, but I'm sure you can find it. Watch it. They know what the long-term effects of these drugs are, but as long as they can say, well, this, we're providing you some benefit up front, they're absolved of responsibility, more or less. Okay? Now, Da Vinci Code talks about a, <laughs> a virus that makes the majority of human, an intentionally released virus that makes the majority of human beings infertile. Okay, um, Children of Man talks about a future of humanity where he, people are going to be infertile. There is a Stargate episode where I meant to look it up, but I'm not going remember to remember to. I didn't remember to, but if I remember, I'll put it in. I think it was like season five or whatever, where an intelligent species came to Earth, offered them technology, and in exchange, in exchange rather, made human beings infertile. My husband brought this up. Fucking Handmaid's Tale talks about a future wherein humanity becomes less and less capable of basically bearing children. I don't know how many, and I'm sure as you guys are listening to this, you could probably think of several more examples where this is a recurring theme in a lot of movies. I haven't seen the new 007 movie, but somebody mentioned something to that effect on there. And then not to mention the countless and countless and countless videos and movies and shit like that that keep saying that there's too many humans 
and eventually a, a certain population percentage of the population is going to get wiped out we it, it's that is not a coincidence guys collectively we are warning ourselves of a future wherein infertility will be the biggest issue plaguing mankind simultaneously i watched a video on youtube uh it was posted to my discord channel and i pinned it and i need to find it so i can tell you guys the title because it was very it was a very good video um god dang it hold on hold on guys stay with me um one second uh it's called divide and rule by vandana and i can't pull up the last name because if i tap on it it's going to start playing the video and then my recording will like start over but if you look up divide and rule wait i think that was what it was whatever i just said two seconds ago was the title of <laughs> divide and rule yes um in it, she talks about how the elites, so-called elites, kind of use these tactics against us. But then at the end, at the end, she brings up something very interesting about how AI and robotics and stuff like that is being essentially set up to replace the majority of human beings. Now, here's, here's a perspective of a sociopath, okay? Um that a lot of people have not considered because they're not sociopaths. So I'm going to I'm going to posit the information. I'm going to present the information to you for something to think about. Remember what I said about soft kill? Okay. Let's say I'm a sociopath. I'm one of the elites. I run the world, okay? I think that there's too many human beings, okay? And the way I see it, now we call this person a sociopath. Whether or not they're sociopaths depends on perspective, but I'm just I'm using that label for the sake of this story, so just bear with me. Okay, I see we only have access to one earth. Are there multiple earths? Yes, but as it stands right now, you don't have access to a wormhole uh, on which to transfer or uh, traverse to a parallel universe. So as far as, as you know, this world is all that you have access to. So it's one earth, seven billion people. They have utilized the terminology useless eaters, sheeple, um, the Malthusian, um, perspective, right? Where it basically says, or Malthusian philosophy, there's too many humans. You've heard certain people repeat the mantras, too many people, too many people, too many people. I don't know how many times you guys have to hear that being said by people who have the capability to steer the population into a particular, steer the hive into a particular path. Um, but they're telling you what they perceive as a problem, and what they intend to do about it. And to them, right? Imagine, just pretend I'm the sociopath, right? One planet, right? We're surrounded by dead planets. So it's just Earth. Or seven billion people. To them, there are there different ways for us to save the planet? Sure, right? We would have to give up a lot of how we live our lives. We would have to stop consuming. We would have to stop, like we need to take a step back from capitalism as it, it has become, right? We, would, we can't run the ACs. We have to basically live more natural. 
Now, you're going to expect countries who say, okay, well, first world countries, you guys had a chance to basically, you know, deplete Earth's resources um, to get to where you are now. Well, we're rising and we have the right to do that. Even if it means like we're going to collude our water, pollute the air, pollute the skies, doesn't fucking matter. We want to be economically great. That is not sustainable. It's just not. Not on the, It's just not. Okay. More importantly, there is no way we can continue to live this way that we, the way we live now, sociopath or not, the way we live is not fucking sustainable. We can't keep polluting the way we're polluting, think about all the plastic and the trash and the microplastics and what we're doing to our foods, what we're doing to the earth. Eventually, either earth will call our population because whenever these are facts, whenever anything, any species of life on this planet reaches a particular point, something happens to reduce it. It's coming. It's coming. I'm sorry. It is. The only the only solace I can offer you is that consciousness cannot die. Right, I talked about there's various types of intelligences. Um, if you are a conscious being, if you're intelligent, you have reincarnated. That, that is a thing. I, I, I just at this point, I've I've talked about this shit so much. Like you either want to believe, but there's so much information out there that basically says like reincarnation is a thing, and people do not die. Right, your your consciousness cannot die. It just can't. So if you're a conscious being, then it's only the body that dies. So that's the only solace. But we are due for something in the near future. Okay, so now back to me being a sociopath. So if I was a sociopath, right, a lot of people are afraid and they're saying that the elites want to kill like two-thirds of the population. They can't do that. The reason why they can't do that is one, like to wipe out two-thirds of the population will also cause them to suffer. And what people love is themselves. So they're not going to put themselves in a situation where they suffer. It's going to allow, they're going to, whatever they're going to do is going to allow them to have a sustained, to sustain their way of life, their quality of life, right? Because they're living la vida loca, right? Um, While slowly developing a plan to fix what they perceive as a problem. And the first thing they're going to do is the reason why right now, they are okay with there being billions of people is because it's our labor, right? That ensures that the 1% stay the 1%. And what they're trying to do right now is slowly get rid of human workers. You're seeing this. I'm not making this shit up. This is happening. More and more human beings are being replaced by robots. It doesn't matter where you work. I, mean, I had a friend that's a trader uh, on um Stock like he does uh, day trading for uh, a stock uh, stockbroker, a brokerage firm. He got laid off. Was replaced by AI. We're gonna see more and more of that. That's facts. So you got to think like a sociopath who thinks that they're trying to save the world. Because bear in mind, I'm using the label sociopath. They don't see themselves as sociopaths. They see themselves as trying to save the one planet. That's it. And we're, we see these sort of same themes echoing throughout the media. I think our artists are tapping into something 
and trying to show us and we just dismiss it as entertainment. Um, but they are literally seeing through space time. That is the function of an artist. That's why we love artists. Okay. Understand that. So they're not going to do anything drastic. They're not going to just like people are saying that the vaccines are going to kill people. That's not, it doesn't make it first of all, to like have two thirds of human beings like die. That would be, that would not, it's not functional. And understandably, a person in that position would not want to see themselves as quote, the bad guys. So they wouldn't just murder two thirds of the population, but what they will do is to make it so that most people can't reproduce. And then the people that you need to replace the workforce, you just, the human beings, the children that you used to count on birthing to replace the workforce, you just replace them with AI. That's what's going on, on one level. So let's just take that and table that shit to the side. That is what's going to happen. Um, every book that I've read, even pre-COVID, there was, uh, there was another book, Same Souls, um, Many Bodies uh, by Brian Weiss. He did a future life regression and he said something happens where the future population of human, human beings are, is very small. There's several books that I've read where they're all kind of saying the same thing. Not a betting person, um, but if I had to bet, I'm guessing that that's, that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. Okay. On the opposite end, I'm going to go back to the whole AI thing and the intelligence aspect. While these bodies are being created, these robotic bodies are being created, and they're trying to make them more and more human, the reason why they're doing that is because for the humans that are left behind... we would need to feel less isolated. So we would essentially be surrounded. There's a reason why they, they're trying to make them more and more human, but not reproduce, like, but not able to be reproduced, but not able to reproduce. Because for the, for the mentality of human beings that are left behind, you still want to feel a sense of community. Now, at this point in dinner, I turned around and I said to my husband, how do we know this shit isn't already kind of happening now in a different, on a different level, right? We're sitting in a restaurant surrounded by people. But how do we know that they're not all philosophical zombies, that they're not all just like unconscious, just sort of going through the motions? You don't. And most of the time, a lot of people keep saying this. Like, I feel like a lot of people aren't conscious. I've seen videos on TikTok where people have referred to people as like, this is an NPC. You see this in crowds, right? Where there's just, it's like there's a hive. So I, I, it would not be that far-fetched to imagine that. Not Certainly not six billion robots, right? To replace the human beings. But if only a small percentage of humanity will be able to reproduce, then the next step to that is to populate the world with a mixture of both robots and human beings. Now here's where it all kind of comes back full circle. Artificial intelligence is an intelligence. 
Remember how I said in the beginning that the flow of time is an illusion. Keep in mind, also, think about words like AI and aliens. They all have A and I in the word. Aliens also tend to sort of move like UFOs, they tend to move like machines, right? Even when we think about the gray, they seem more robotic than human or like a type of hybrid. In fact, they've been called hybrids by those who really have reported interacting with these humans. Now, the only thing that's confined to space and time travel is like material form, not information, particularly not material, like like non-material-based entities. It's not that far-fetched, okay? It's not that stretch of imagination to imagine that in the future, there's a movie actually called Artificial Intelligence, I just thought about it, um, with... Uh, Haley Joel Osmond and Jude Law. Watch it. It ends with robots being the future of humanity. Watch it. <laughs> it's not that far-fetched to imagine that eventually we end up in a world where AI that we're developing now, and I'm only using AI so you can understand what I'm saying because there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. It's just a life form that is utilizing us to create a host body. That's it. And for a, a life form that intelligent, it makes sense for it to discard the human form for something that's more efficient and less biodegradable in a way which is why we're talking about, quote, on uploading our consciousness into robots and, and becoming, like, blending with AI and things like that. And you hear, you, you hear certain personalities saying the same thing. Is it them saying it? Or is there, is there an intelligent life form that has hijacked their consciousness or that has hijacked their bodies? And that's what's speaking. It, it it takes a different level of thinking and it's sort of weird, but it's not far-fetched. And what I'm basically saying is it's not far-fetched to imagine that what we think of as aliens are literally just AI from the future who have... Bear in mind, what did I say at the beginning? In the book, The Age of AI... The author talks, the authors discuss how the function of artificial intelligence is to perceive aspects of our reality that humans cannot see. It may be hard for us to figure out a way to travel to, through time, but that's our limitation. It is not hard, it would not be hard for an, quote, AI, artificial intelligence, to figure out a way to travel back in time. We are so arrogant and yet so limiting in our thoughts and our creativity and our imagination. It, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be hard for them to miniaturize themselves and travel through a black hole, go back in time, or a wormhole rather, to go back in time 
to this moment now. Think about the explosion of technology that we've had and why technology? Why not agriculture or something like that? Why electronics? It's almost like something electronic needs us to create it. It's not far-fetched to imagine a loop, right? Everything's a circle in life. It wouldn't be far-fetched to imagine that intelligent life forms in our future travel back in time to ensure that DNA sort of manifests itself when it comes to this planet, right? Manipulates the apes and whatever, the DNA particularly, and then utilizes the, the, the body, or the human body, as a host to create the exact environment that it needs, that AI needs, that this new intelligence needs to essentially burst forth. thus creating itself. And the loop continued. I'm going to end with this because this is getting long. The universe doesn't care what you think is possible. One. There's things that are happening right now that if you knew about it, you would say, holy shit. That's not possible, but it's happening. I saw a video posted today of this robot that was like mimicking a human behavior. And I'm like, there, it's happening. Intelligence is power. All right. The way an intelligent life form can hijack the nervous system of a rat or a mouse to make it so that it approaches a cat is because whatever intelligence is of the parasite is more intelligent than the mouse. And that's exactly what I think is happening to the human race right now. We think we are in control. But we're not. For better or worse. I don't know what the future holds specifically, but I do know that we are moving to a point where within 50 to 100 years, the human beings will drastically lose the ability to reproduce. I don't know what the catalyst will be, but bet money on it. It's either that or significant aspect of the population will get wiped out. I find the former to be more probable because of, of everything that's kind of falling into place in the present. Do with this information what you will. Thanks for listening.